0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you've found the place where we talk horses. Fasten your seatbelts, because on today's show, horseman Jonathan Field returns. We first talked to Jonathan in February of 2015. We met up again in 2016. Each and every time he's a guest, the show is filled with not only good advice, but a lot of good energy. As he talked from his home in British Columbia, Bakersfield was getting its first rain of the season. There's a little noise in the line from time to time. I apologize, but I think you will really enjoy my conversation with Jonathan Field on the Woe podcast. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me on.
0: And where are you right now?
1: Right now, I'm in, in the middle of British Columbia, so I'm in a place near it's it's a pl- little tiny place called Pinotan Lake. So we just moved here, uh, l- well, one year basically now. So we bought a new ranch here. And uh, we still have the James Creek Ranch where we teach the camps and clinics. My dad and I have that still. But we relocated the family over to an area called Pinotan Lake, which is out of Kamloops for any people that know British Columbia at all. But I'm up in the mountains. We're on 160 acres, surrounded by the rangeland. You can't see another neighbor. Uh, you could probably shoot a gun off and your neighbor couldn't hear it. So yeah. we're we're out in the middle of nowhere out here, John. <laughs> That's
0: amazing. Now, you've had quite the year, Jonathan. Early in the year, you did a TED Talk. How did that go? You were down in San Juan, I believe.
1: Yeah, uh, it's been an amazing year with a full tour schedule, clinics and camps, and then the TED Talk kind of mixed into it and moving and renoing and everything else we've been doing. The TED Talk, there was a friend of mine that I was doing a clinic, uh, in, uh, in BC and I was doing a morning talk and it was, it was really more an advanced clinics. So we were talking about the mindset of a, you know, of horsemen, of horsewomen and like, what are the, what's an important mindset to have and, and that kind of a thing. And we were going back and forth. And the one lady, she said, Jonathan, you just gave a Ted talk. If you want to know, <laughs> you, you've got to do it. And I said, Oh, wow. Thank you. She goes, well, actually I'm a Ted organizing committee member for the San Juan Islands. TED committee and uh, they do a TEDx talk it's called mm-hmm. and uh, she says you know if you're interested I- I'd like to invite you and, and I said oh it's a little bit out of my you know realm of speaking about you know kind of my personal life you know the struggles I had with my hand and so forth and the subsequent you know challenges uh, with all of that the injury because I had such a sustained injury on my left hand having it cut off all but a half an inch of skin on the wrist So my left hand was cut off at the arm, you know, just above my wrist. Mm -hmm. So that was really kind of the the, the talk about recovering from that and and, and just finding my passion and, you know, being with horses and so forth.
0: It was quite the inspiration. We talked about your injury on the first podcast. I think it was really your relationship with horses. it, It kind of circled back and you said something interesting in that TED Talk that you certainly wouldn't want um, to live through that type of tragedy again. But you wouldn't want it cut out of your life either, because it got you to where you are as bad as tragic as that accident was.
1: It sure did. And you know, the big thing with my talk was I wanted to try to you know, kind of squeeze out the points or the the juice, so to speak, of what were the biggest lessons I learned and are these things you can learn without having tragedy? And so many of us have had so many things happen to our lives that, you know, we've we've learned from or we've gained some insights from, and I certainly have from this, and I certainly, I definitely, like you said, I wouldn't want to take it out of my life because my life experience would be so different now. I wouldn't want to go through it again. But the biggest, one of the bigger points about, you know, the TED Talk was kind of called Finding Your Sweet Spot in Life. And one of the big points that I was trying to make was that the decisions that I often made before my accident were oriented around, you know, money or, you know, short-term thinking or ego or anything and and, or fear or anxiety, these types of things. And then right after my accident, all my decisions were made out of fear and anxiety for quite a while. And then it really kind of put a, a spotlight on, am I making my decisions out of my dreams and my goals, my heart's desire or am I making my decisions based on uh, fear, based on worry-based? So that was the crux of it. And finding that place in the middle where you can make those decisions based on your, your dreams, your goals, your family, uh, those kinds of things. I call that finding your sweet spot. And that's a place where you're pursuing your comfort versus a place where you're being driven because of anxieties, because of fears. And it's just a daily question. It's a it's a thing we do, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly kind of thing that. You really look at where am I at right now and the decisions that have got me here and then the ongoing ones I'm gonna make each day. So I look at that all the time still in my life and that was really the the gift, if you will, of having that happen where it put me in such post-traumatic stress. And I had I was lucky enough to be born in a horse loving family so horses were there, but the talk is really not uh, focused just for horse people. Right. It, it's just a, more of a human journey and, and one that we all deal with.
0: And I do think that part of that of what I got out of the talk was that it is a daily quest. It's not just something happens and boom, your life changes. In order for your life to change, you have to develop these habits. Uh, or, am I making this decision based on what I really want to do? Am I going in the direction I really want to go on? And those decisions are made in like, like training horses in a, in a lot of ways. They're made in very small steps, but at the end of the road, they've really made a dramatic change. I think that's what the value of horses in our life.
1: Absolutely. Like sometimes we, you know, we say, you know, well you've got to pick your, your main passion or your main goal and it's gotta be this one major decision that people think I just can't come to that decision right now. And I, in, in the talk I kind of described where it wasn't about you know, picking my main dream or goal the end outcome, it was about on a daily basis, what decisions am I making just to get up, get one foot in front of the other, start moving and just, you know, go to physio that day or stretch my hand a little more that day or, you know, do all I can do today to move myself, you know, towards I go to bed at night and I go, okay, I did what I could do and uh, that's going to move me towards my sweet spot and for today, I'm tired, I'm laying in bed, I've done what I can do and and I am in my sweet spot, you know, I don't have to be on on myself because I should have done more or could have done more or... Or what what happened, and I'm regretting that I don't have what I did that I used to have, and all those things that we go through.
0: Right. Well, and speaking of doing more, you've just released your schedule for 2020, and goodness gracious, you are a busy man. (laughs) You've got some clinics and expos and all kinds of things going on. So I'm looking through your schedule, just uh, as I as I do with you know my dream list of all these things that I'd love to do in the next year and I see that you've kind of set your courses up in it looks like level one level two and level three can you explain a little bit about the, the difference in in what your coursework is like
1: so I teach five courses in total and I teach the majority of course one two and three and then and, and course four is actually the only way to take that one is you've been in the other ones and it's actually a two-week camp in the fall where people come to the James Creek Ranch and they spend two weeks there. And it's, it's a group that's been with me for quite a while and, and people are kind of working their way through my program to get there. But the majority is out on the road, of uh, course, one, two, and three, of course, mostly is the first two. And really that's about, you know, how uh, you just developed this. I have every imaginable level of rider. Uh, in a clinic the other day, I had a top Canadian jumper rider and a guy that had a horse. Uh, this is kind of rare, but a guy that had a horse had literally touched a horse seven times. Now, Lucky, he was like a hockey player and he was really athletic, but here I was, I'm like, how are we going to go with this? You know. And But we had a great time and she learned lots. She's a really great rider. And, and, of course, you know, the gentleman that was just brand new to horses, he learned a to whole ton too. So we talk about behavior psychology of the horse we hands-on skills on the ground and safety riding. Uh, and then, of course, too, gets more into the bending, the balancing, getting unity with the horse, becoming a strong leader to where they're looking to us, they're becoming more herd-bound to us than they're heard, or to they're looking to their instincts for survival and that kind of thing. You know, taking that and, and really looking at my background, which was as a kid strongly rooted into dressage and uh, that kind of stuff. So balancing the horses and getting the right amount of lateral work in their bodies to keep them healthy and fit and deflection and all the stuff to keep their backs up and so forth. We need all of that as well. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, it's a fun mix in the beginning because there's so much to talk about. What is the people teaching? What is the, the development of the, of the horse and how to put this all together to whatever it is that you do.
0: And now one of them said three L's.
1: Yeah. So the 3Ls course is a little different. Now, so the idea of that one is once you learn each course individually, course 1, 2, and 3, 3Ls course is really how you do it all in application. So I don't actually just do the course 1 content and just what I teach in course 2. I don't actually do that, like, in the, by itself. Now, in the course, we have to teach these concepts about – say, leadership or about, you know, individual body control or these different exercises we do in that course. And then, of course, two, we teach another whole set of concepts in course three we teach. So you, you become really good at each little discipline, if you will. Mm-hmm. But the three L's course is about saying, OK, now you know what those three those three disciplines are. What, and what, uh, are those, and you, what
0: are those L's?
1: Well, really, so in the three L's are all three levels together, the okay, first three gotcha. levels gotcha. in application at once. Right. So that's how I apply. When I pick up the reins on a horse or I handle a horse, I'm applying all the concepts, even in course one. Say the focus in course one might be understanding how do you get the horse to relax, be comfortable just holding the path and the speed. Then course two is the focus of bend and balance. Then course three is the focus of flexing, lengthening and shortening the horse longitudinally. No, I'm going to apply all the lessons of each one of those courses all at once. And that's what the three L's course. And we actually developed a five-day camp out of that one course as well, so... I've been teaching seven weeks at the James Creek Ranch this year. We just released it, John. It's been a response. Like, I mean, we've always had good responses to my schedule the last 10 years for sure, where they fill up pretty quick. We released it, and in seven days, we were at 90% capacity for camps and clinics. We're over full in the fall. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Next fall, like next September, October. and, uh, And they're full. They're paid deposits. Everybody's in, and they're all scheduled. Wow. Terrific. Yeah, it's an amazing response this year.
0: A couple of other things I was reading on your website about a training scale. Yeah. What, what, is, the, what is that about?
1: What I've done is I've outlined in, in my five courses this training scale. So there's a few things that I teach, and one is called the primary language, or the primary equine language. Another one is called the six Cs, and the other one is called this training scale. So these three things interact as you learn them. So the idea is, as a horseman or horsewoman, so you can use these tools – To say, like if we just look at the training scale, for example, some people are, they're focused inside their discipline, dressage, reining, trail riding, whatever it is they do. And sometimes they get focused in on a certain thing. Uh, And maybe that's a a flying lead change or a a half pass or a a turnaround, like a spin. And and it's just not going the way they want it to go. You have to be able to diagnose down to what is the issue. Like, say you're going to turn your horse around, uh, like a spin, is the hindquarters coming, is, is the hindquarters kicking off the track when you take the shoulders over? So in the early stages, people need to be able to see, you know, when they're first learning, not like a, a reining trainer or somebody, but when they're first learning that when their, you know, shoulders move to the left, the hindquarters doesn't kick out to the right. Well, if that's the case, that's a path issue. So the first part of the training skill is understand where should the horse be on the path or the line, as a jumper rider would call. Mm-hmm. And then if I, if I have control of path, now I can say, now let's get the speed. If you're a trail rider, you want to have control of the path before you get the horse speed so you don't end up like a hood ornament. You know, you're <laughs> going down the road, and you, if you don't have control of the path four feet off the side of the road, and the horse just says, well, I'm just going to keep trotting, but I don't care if the path is 10 or 15 feet wide here. You can land in front of a truck or you run your knee into a tree or off into a ditch. So path is before speed. So I have path control, now I get the speed, now go ahead and go forward. If I can have path and speed, then we can start to to laterally bend the horse. But you can't worry about bending and balancing a horse if you don't have control of the path and the speed. Or they might randomly bend somewhere, but they're not actually doing it under control. They could be running out the shoulder because you don't have control of the path. So the first bottom of the pyramid on this training scale is path, then speed, then we can go for lateral bending. Mm-hmm. Then because if you can laterally bend the horse left and right, you can influence their balance, move their shoulders over to the right, move them over to the left, whatever it is. And then you change the balance on their hooves, on their four corners. And, and it's very classical knowledge, nothing I've invented, that you do lateral work before you do longitudinal compressing or flexing and lengthening work of the body. So the next category, which would be the course three topic, would be the flexing, the longitudinal flexing. That's the lengthening and the compressing of the body. And then if you can do all of those things and they can hold those with relaxation and the horse still has spirit and they're not a horse bought. And then, then the next thing is, can you influence the energy higher and lower? So a barrel racer might have lots of energy, but when they get lots of energy in the system, they lose path, they lose speed control, they lose bend around the barrel, balance around the barrel. They lose flexion. The horse inverts. It doesn't push from behind because they're dealing inside an energy category because the horse is jacked up about these barrels. Or maybe it's a jumping horse, but they lose all those other pieces on the way back. So then we have to go back and fix the pieces that are holding up the bottom of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. Then if they can have energy contained and have energy flux, but contain all the other pieces of the path of speed, the bend, the balance, and the short flexion, say... Now we can influence energy. Now we're into the dressage training scale, which is the top three components of the dressage training scale is impulsion, straightness, and collection. So if you can have the energy contained inside the parameters of all the other things I just described, you have what's called impulsion. Impulsion is a contained forward energy that comes from behind. And then the next whole study is the study of straightness. Straightness is a long study in dressage or in any discipline because straightness is one of those things that a little wiggle out to the shoulder, or out to the hindquarter, uh, you lose power, right. which means you lose this straightness in the horse, which means you lose the, the potential for what's called collection, which is the highest point in the dressage training scale and to my training scale, which collection is self-carriage is what it is. Not rain carriage, not main carriage, not leg carriage. It's, it's the horse has now self-carriage.
0: Right. Now do you talk about the training scale at all the courses that you do?
1: Every single course is themed around that, that's right. And the 3L's course says how do all three courses, the path of speed, the bend, the balance, and the flexions come together at once in every exercise you do. And then then we start playing with the energy levels in course four and impulsion. And we try to put it to purpose. For me, I'm a, big, I'm a really strong believer that we need to do, do some things, gain some you know, ability with our horse and give it a purpose, whether that's something small around the yard or whether that's go over some jumps or whether it's go move some cows or it's go on a trail or come up with an obstacle course. Uh, purpose kind of tests your teaching, but it also takes the rider's attention off of the horse. And there's, when you do that and you say, okay, I'm going over here, you know, your whole intention, your whole body language says to the horse through your seat, through your legs, through your reins that it's like looking when you're driving a car, you look down the road and your hand does what it needs to do automatically. You don't look at the gauges, right? So purpose kind of gives us that. It, it gives us the, the energy level or the quiet energy or the, you know, whatever that intention needs to be for that moment in our purpose.
0: Okay, Jonathan. Now we have information on next year's clinics and expos and an explanation of the different types of courses you teach. We need something to help us work with our horses through these winter months. Don't tell us just yet. I want to tease it. But after the break, let's get into what people can do with their horses when it's too cold to ride. I want to thank Total Saddle Fit for sponsoring the WO Podcast. Total Saddle Fit makes the shoulder relief cinch With its unique shape and contours, the shoulder relief cinch redirects the latigos of your saddle to improve your horse's range of motion in the shoulders. The shoulder relief cinch is robustly padded and cutaways in the places where your horse needs it. Total Saddle Fit wants you to try this innovative new take on the cinch by offering free worldwide shipping. That's right, try it for 30 days risk-free. I've got one I use on my quarter horse mare, Jesse, and my Mustang Scratch. And I really like the look and feel of the shoulder relief cinch. Over 10,000 riders rely on the shoulder relief cinch. Find your perfect size, color, and material at totalsaddlefit.com and tell them you heard about it on the Woe Podcast. Now, back to Jonathan Field. Now we're, we're a month from wintertime. As it gets colder in North America, a lot of us kind of not ignore our horses, but we don't really interact with them a whole lot just because of weather concerns and, and family commitments with the holidays and stuff. Do you have any suggestions for what people might be able to do over these winter months to keep that relationship with their horse going, to, to maybe even strengthen it?
1: Absolutely. So if we're not able to get out, like, you know, in this country here, it could be three feet of snow here. It could be right now. Luckily, it's not. And it could be 30 below in the next <laughs> few weeks. So for sure, I know all about that getting shut down a little bit uh, with the winter, but I love to play brain games <laughs> and, and uh-huh. things that develop my horse's thinking. So if you think about, you know, the endurance thing, say you're going out on a trail ride or you're going to jump a course or you're going to, you know, you're going to do something that requires quite a lot of endurance. Now, jump a course requires... A lot of thinking too, but if you're going to chase cattle or go on a big trail ride or just you know lope circles in an arena, it's it's more of a physical thing. Um, there is a mental aspect to it, but the brain games I like to play are, are puzzle solving. I had horses to train, and there was one horse that was a really complicated horse, and he was just always in his prey animal mode, like in that mode where he was in flight or fight or freeze. He was just he just had a hard time getting in feel with a person and trusting a person. And I, I needed to get time with this horse, but the, it was so icy. It had actually snowed, then ice rained, and we were near Vancouver at the time. And it was, I couldn't even walk the horse from the barn to get to the arena, to do, it, to do anything in the arena. So I thought, what can I do with this horse? And I want to do more than just brush him. I want to do more than just hang out with him. Right. Uh, I thought, well, I'm in the barn here, and there were only two other horses in the barn, and there were 14 stalls. So it, what I said was, I'm going to put my lead rope on, and I'm going to put a long lead rope on. It was a 12-foot lead rope. and I'm going to figure out how many different things I can do in and around these stalls with this lead rope and teach this horse to think, get him to be a puzzle solver. What does it want him to do? So I'm going to first get, get him caught, and then I'm going to open the door, and I'm going to ask him to come out only you know, one foot at a time, two feet at a time, halfway, back, back in, in and out a few times like that. Then I'm going to say I'm going to turn him around and see if he can back into the box stall. And there was kind of a step up to get into this particular box stall. Uh-huh. So I would back him in. And I was standing in front of him backing him in, and I said, I'm going to back him in and put his bum up against the far corner Maybe we want to put him in a roping box one day, put him in here and kind of get him to press and lean on it, like sit against the corner. I was in his stall and I taught him to do that. So I thought, can I sit on the outside of the stall and get him to lean into that corner? So uh, I finally got him to be able to do that. And I use my lead rope and I'm on the ground, of course, right? Uh-huh. My yep. stick And i kind of directing him in hand, right? So then I said, I wonder if I can put a longer rope on, get out of sight, and see if I can get him to back down the barn alley. We make the turn just a little, you know, six feet away from the barn door, six, seven feet away from that stall door. Uh Make the turn and go to that corner. Well, long story short, by the time I got done, I was one hour in. I had two 45-foot ropes tied together. I invited my <laughs> wife in. I said, hey, Ange, check this out. I was sitting at the far end of the barn. He, he figured out exactly where that little sweet spot was. If he pressed his butt into that corner, I would leave him alone. He would literally back up all the way down the barn alleyway. I was at the far end of the barn, make the turn into his stall, back up over the little lip to get into the stall and back into that corner. <laughs> that was the best thing I ever could have done with that horse because – Throughout the, the course of that entire session, there were lots of releases, lots of little rubs, lots of little moments where you, you're developing a feel and a bit of connection. Right. And more than anything, it was a brain game. It was a brain teaser. He had to learn something, and there was a puzzle to solve. Once he realized that, it wasn't like all of this was happening to him. He's like, I get this. We're doing something. And you know, I could have lobed circles out there in that horse for the next two weeks and never engaged that part of the brain, right. that that little place in there that gets him thinking. And I just was able to put him into a thinking mind and engage that side where, where he, was, he was thinking about what he was doing with his feet, thinking about what he was gonna, where he was going to put it, and, and he was listening to me direct his feet instead of physically kind of taking in the whole horse and just trying to exercise them down.
0: right. right.
1: So that's kind of things I love to do in the winter, John. Yeah,
0: and over those cold months, it, you know, that's, a, that's a good philosophy. You can't, we can't work their bodies as much, but we certainly can, start, can continue to work their brains, and that builds that relationship. That's some good advice, Jonathan. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. If people want to find out more about Jonathan Field horsemanship, uh, where can we send them?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I did something, and I, I, I know we've talked about it before, and it's still popular. I think each year, 300,000 videos get watched of this episode, but it's called 31 and 13. Uh-huh. There's 31 videos that people can sign up to. They're absolutely free. They're on my website. You go there. They're three or four-minute videos. There's, I call it 31 and 13 because you get 31 free videos sent to you every couple of weeks for 13 months. Wow. So it's kind of a fun little series of three and four minute videos and uh, the numbers, we just cannot believe how much response we've had from those videos and they're absolutely free. There's no obligation. You can unsubscribe anytime and uh, it's just something that we wanted to kind of put out there and, and to help people with. So they can go to my website, jonathanfieldhorsemanship.net. And uh, check those videos out and just click subscribe and they'll be on their way every couple of weeks. You get another little tidbit of horsemanship and lots of this kind of stuff I was just talking about.
0: That's perfect. And then, of course, your clinic schedule is in there. So if somebody and you've got clinics all over the country, I notice you've got one. uh, One of your first ones in the beginning of the year is in our neck of the woods, not too far
1: yeah we're coming to yeah we're coming to Livermore and uh, we're going to be there for uh, a little while then I go to Santa Cruz and then I go off to Ohio and then I come back. I'm in California a lot this year. I really I love it down there. And that's where I first start my season this year in March.
0: Well thanks again for being a part of the world podcast. Uh, it's always great to talk to you and I look forward to to maybe we can meet up in 2020.
1: That would be awesome, John. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, hi to everybody out there. And I just wish you guys a great winter. And I felt like I talked so fast trying to get all that out, John, (laughs) that uh, I'm like an auctioneer here. But (laughs) anyways, I know we're trying to keep it on a a nice timeline. But I just thank you for the opportunity. Well,
0: thanks again, Jonathan. Take care, buddy. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks to Jonathan Fields for being on the show. I've got the links to his clinic schedule, TED Talk, and previous visits right here on the Woe Podcast. They're all in the show notes at woepodcast.com. The last time Jonathan and I talked was at the Equine Expo in Pomona, California in 2016. I was struggling a bit with scratch. Really, it was more like stuck in one place. Jonathan took the time from his hectic schedule and gave me some pointers, but more importantly, positive words of encouragement that helped me get back on track and moving forward again. Thanks, Jonathan. This is the last podcast of the year. We're taking December off to spend time with our family and enjoy the holidays. I've got a couple of episodes in the works. If you have a story to tell or an idea for a podcast, I would love to hear from you. Send an email to john at woepodcast.com. I answer everyone. You can find all the episodes of Woe Podcast at the aforementioned woepodcast.com. Click subscribe on any podcast catcher like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and new episodes will automatically appear on your device. It's magical. Or on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Woe Podcast. We'd love to connect with you. Post some pictures of you and your horse. You are a big part of this podcast. Here's wishing you, your family, and your horses a happy and joyful holiday season. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, for Renee, this is John Harris saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.